0: Welcome to the inaugural Metacritique podcast with me, Mark Kelly, and we're joined by James Kent. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good G'day, James. Now, if you think that was an off-putting beginning, wait till you hear the rest of the content. <laughs> so, it was unbelievably cold in Sydney this morning. Like, um, like I'm, I, it was unprecedentedly cold as far as I can work out. Like it, it was on the, the bomb app and when I took the dog out this morning at dawn, it was it said 3.9 degrees feels like two degrees That's cold as, as, far cold. As, well, as far as I'm aware, aware, like I was trying to find like news stories about this because as far as I'm aware, that is literally the coldest it's ever been in Sydney. I, I don't believe it's ever been colder than four degrees in central Sydney before. Really? Maybe because I'm because observatory hill is what they normally go by. And I was like, I was looking at the local bomb for Newtown where I live. Um, but yeah, that was, it, yeah, it was, it was like properly cold. It was like they would consider this cold, cold weather in Iceland. Like, <laughs> yeah, they would.
1: I mean, I've never been there, but I assume they would.
0: No, no. they well, I mean, I'm mean, really, they've really gone off on tangent now. But in Iceland, it, like people don't realize this about us. But it has, has a very temperate climate because it's surrounded by water. So it doesn't right. get below zero that much, even though in the middle of the summer, um, you know, like 15 degrees is like a normal midsummer temperature.
1: Right. I have, I have, I have, a, I mean, on a slightly lesser scale, where I live in Victoria on the Mornington Peninsula, it's much warmer in the winter than Melbourne and much cooler in the summer, which is just the temperate climate from the sea. Yeah.
0: Exactly similar similar situation was it is, it is it cold down south this morning
1: yeah it's cold it's freezing yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, not sorry not literally freezing but uh but i think it, okay it's one of those things where you find that although the weather although the weather is different down here you some sort of psychologically it takes the same effect as it would say, you know nine degrees here is in some way the same as sort of four degrees in melbourne psychologically
0: how it affects you i don't know i don't know how that that's the case Really, that's just me but I find it. Are you saying are you saying that subjective experiences are relative, James?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not. I just think that like the spectrum of weather to which you're exposed and you experience the full emotions of, of, of kind of you know of weather, regardless of what those temperatures are.
0: Right. I mean, I feel like it's kind of un- uncontroversial to say subjective experience is relevant. I mean, relative. Like, I feel like. I mean, what's the alternative?
1: I mean, that seems right.
0: They're a- absolute. So look, I mean, we're, you know, talking about the weather, which like, I'm, 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 It's uh, a good start. (laughs) I'm told, I saw, I saw recently, um, you're aware of SuperWog? Yeah. Like I I feel uncomfortable saying the word, but you're aware aware of this, right? I'm
1: aware of SuperWog.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that, the guy, and I think that the guy who does SuperWog, it wasn't actually a SuperWog thing, but like, I think it was him on, and I presume the medium was TikTok because that's, you know, over the last kind of year where I've been encountering most stuff, yeah. was was saying, was mocking Aussies or, or skips for, you know, talking about the weather all the time. <laughs> and I was unaware that this was a trait. Like, I think of this as being like an English trait, but I guess from, from the, uh, you know, Mediterranean or Middle Eastern perspective, that would be, a characteristic of Anglo Australians as well. Uh,
1: I feel like this is highly dubious, though, because I mean, if you go, I mean, when I lived in Italy,
0: mm. all they talk about is the weather. That's right, and that is canonically. I mean, we're getting into the concept here of of the WOG, which is like, you know, caveat here, uh, particularly, you know, it's a podcast potentially could be listened to by anyone. I mean, you, you may not know this, James, but like WOG is in, in in the UK, like basically as as considered as Bad as slow as the N word because it's specifically it? historically, yeah. So that word in in the UK, but it's not it's not a word one hears anymore. But historically, the I'll call it the W word now because I actually am quite uncomfortable saying it for this reason. But th- this word was specifically used to refer to people of kind of black African descent, and, and is considered like an absolutely off the chart racial slur. Hence the uh, hence, pos-
1: that, hence the faulty towers joke, major. The fa- the fa- <laughs> the faulty towers. Joke. That actually yeah. makes, that actually makes a lot more sense now.
0: Yeah, um, which was which unrepeatable in, in, right. in the modern day, yet, yet still on TV in Australia. I don't know if it'd be...
1: Because, so I mean, gonna... I, I think you would still consider it, I mean, a sort of, I don't know, minor slur here, right? Like, I mean, you, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying in any context, but it's clearly different to
0: other slurs. I mean, I think... So, th- first, it's obviously the case with the W word, is that it has you know, it has the general characteristic of contemporary slurs that you are allowed to use it. If you are a member of that group, Correct. Yeah. like hence, hence super W word who is, you know, a, a, able to self-describe. Uh, and, you know, my, my wife who I shouldn't mention on the podcast at all, but is uh, a quarter Italian yet feels pretty comfortable self-describing. And I think actually is probably, that's probably allowed. I think so. Uh, so that's because if you're, if you're, if you're saying I am a W, you're, it's okay. Well, but yeah, this, it, nonetheless, it's, 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 pretty acceptable. And the thing that really interests me in Australia is how in, in Sydney, at least I don't know if this New South Wales thing, or if it's Australia wide, the, the police force have these ethnic characterizations, right? So if someone's like, you know, a wanted suspect and they describe their ethnicity, they use this phrase in New South Wales, at least someone is, and I, I used it before. Uh, in, in an off-color joke, that someone is of Mediterranean or Middle Eastern appearance—that's the phrase they use—and that describes the, the modern use of the W. Right? It's gone through historical permutations, but in the last fifty years, it describes someone who is from basically the Mediterranean. Yeah. That, and and it's it's understood that this is a particular type, and it, perfectly reasonably. Right? The Mediterranean is a cultural zone, uh, you know, ethnically, genetically, culturally, uh, historically, pretty pretty kind of unified of course it was very that became very disunified due to religious cultural differences in the last kind of thousand years but prior to that yet what interests me is in the uk the police have two separate designations mediterranean and middle eastern completely separate really there's there's no equivalent concept and it's it's but you you imagine i mean think think of i'm thinking of france right yeah i once said to i mean i i don't know i don't know i'm so, maybe I'm sailing into it close to cancellation. I once said to a French friend that I had difficulty telling the difference between Algerian people and French people in France, right? Because in, in France, there's a very, you know, it, it's like, it's a really serious racial cleavage in French society, right? Like this is the, you know, France is, is an extraordinarily kind of racist country in, in my view. It's, it's like the most racist country I ever lived in.
1: Uh, I, I and, think, yeah. I mean, I've never lived there, but it, that seems right.
0: Yeah and and you know so they have this very clear geographical division around the kind of cities you've got the bonnie where you have you know these which are, which are basically full of ethnic minorities and 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 basically there's two really sizable ethnic minorities in france one you know arab people predominantly of algerian but also tunisian moroccan descent and the other one being black people who who may be from the west indies or they may be uh, from africa uh, more directly. And the, 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 in, in the French kind of mind, I mean, you know, and and talking to, to minor, minority French people, even if they're, they're French born or even third generation, if they're from an Algerian background, they don't necessarily identify as French. Uh, and and it's pretty clear, you know, how they're considered. Of course, one sees this in, in all kinds of countries. But I said to this French friend of mine, who is, you know, uh, of course, like a friend of mine, very, very liberal and politically correct all the rest of it. That uh, and actually spent a lot of her time uh, living in, in the Arab world. And when I said that I I I, I couldn't necessarily recognise them. It was a time I think when I was living in, in the banlieue, uh, you know, so I was you know, surrounded by a lot of people uh, who, who were of Arab descent. But I couldn't necessarily tell who 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 what where, what ethnic groups i belonged to, looking at them. And my, my French friend was absolutely outraged that this would be the case. Uh, I
1: didn't think, I think recognise it.
0: Yeah, the, the difference between... A, but basically, it's a, what I've alluded to is the difference between a Mediterranean person and a Middle Eastern person. We're, we're, but from a French point of view, the idea that this is a unified category, being Mediterranean or Middle Eastern, uh, is extremely, you know, confounding to their, their ethnic identity. Um, I mean, there's a... You know, there's a this, this scene, in, you know, this, the, the scene in the Battle of Algiers where they have... Um, the, there's, you've, you've seen that film last year. I actually haven't, no. Okay. Well, I know I know, scene-
1: I know about it, though.
0: There's a scene which I don't know. I don't know how how um, you know kind of historically accurate that film is. I assume the way it's presented, like very accurate. But they have a, a kind of a, a, a member of the the kind of thing. Is it the FLN at this stage? I, I don't know. But uh, the one of the the kind of members of the the kind of Arab resistance to French colonialism. Uh, they they send her into a you know. Colon only, you know, whites only neighborhood to to carry out a bombing, and I mean, basically, this dress her up like a like a French person, and uh, she passes, you know, very easily for French. Uh, but you know, of course, you know, in, in Algerian society, there's difference between being, you know, French versus versus Arabs. Just that it was was it, you know, prior to to liberation, like just you know, like the difference between whites and blacks in apartheid South Africa. Um, I mean, I think. <laughs>
1: I mean, look—it's the thing that struck me the most about that was—I mean, it offers a possible correction to what I had always assumed in terms of the designator in Australia of like Middle Eastern appearance. Um, You know, given my age, I grew up; my teens were like the sort of early two thousands, post September eleven kind of thing. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. I I think this—this was this must have been nationally rather than statewide. But you know, there was the fridge magnet everyone received to be, be alert, not alarm. The, the anti-terror
0: fridge magnet.
1: Right, right, right. And, and, and this was, I don't what, 2002 or three. I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, this kind of... Tri- I, I, I mean, my memory of this is my, my dad taking the piss of this idea of Middle Eastern appearance. And so, of
0: course, I mean, this was... I mean, these days... He so, can- did, the, did the fridge magnet say on it, if someone, if someone looks like can- they might be French, you should stay away from remember. them? I remember.
1: It, it can't have. But it's, it seemed to coincide with this general sort of a man of Middle Eastern appearance um, was doing X, Y, Z. And of course, my dad would have been cancelled these days, but he would make jokes all the time. And no, matter there was, no matter there was anyone who was like not white, he was t- sort of taking the piss of this kind of, you know, clearly racist policy or not policy rather, but sort of uh, a, a In pro jungle. Right, yeah. yeah. So, but maybe, yeah. maybe it predates... I assumed it kind of came out of that as a sort of post September 11 world, but maybe it predates that.
0: Well, I think, as I say, I think it's, it's, I think it's a a classic move from this concept, this, you know, demonic concept that spontaneously appeared in Australia, the W word, which, you know, basically this, this concept emerges in a situation where you have a a largely homogeneously Anglo-Celtic society. Right. I mean, of course, They were Aboriginal people, but they were very systematically excluded. And into that society, you had, you know, famously post-war, large-scale immigration from Southern Europe. And then you started to have immigration from the Middle East. And the... You know the the W word. It's, it's it's this very interesting kind of othering, where it's like because you still had the white Australia policy initially. These people were, were considered white Europeans, which they you know are by, by standard definition. Yet, in a, in a situation where they were noticeably darker and more foreign, and so that, that they, they were otherised you know, using precisely a word that in the UK in the same time period was used for black people, who were the you know a new immigrant community at that time. Um, because they they were you know effectively I mean I think it's going I don't think it's going too far to suggest that you know Italians in Australia in the nineteen fifties were in the same kind of social position that uh, you know West Indian immigrants were in the UK. It's not to say that they were as discriminated against necessarily in every respect, but this kind of the, the same kind of otherisation seems to be offered. Here.
1: I think that sounds right, and, and, and but that's extraordinary. I didn't actually know the history of that word in the uk i didn't realize that i actually thought i th- and I, I mean i don't want to return to the faulty towers joke uh, but that that actually gives a lot more context and actually the joke is much more outrageous than i believed.
0: yeah right i mean well no but it uses i mean how could it be more outrageous it uses the n-word right like I mean, yeah no, but it, are you,
1: are you it already but he I mean, uses the n-word and the w-word right yeah. and i anyway we won't go on to it but it, 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 that that joke now has a lot more context and makes a lot more sense.
0: Um, yeah. I, mean, is, I mean, this is extraordinary, really, the, the levity with which we're getting on to, to racial issues in this conversation, because we're, in, you know, absolutely ignoring the, the, um, the conjuncture we're in, or at least the, the kind of the apparent conjuncture. I mean, because we're, we're, actually, we're actually in Australia, and this is happening in America. Like we're we're seeing America, I take it still today. Like you know, in the in, in the midst of this paroxysm, of. I mean, what to call it? Like, I don't really know what to, what to. Is there is there a, like a, a summary word that's for the for the for the riots? Yeah, for the the I guess the riots is the. I think it's still the called riots riot. riot. or protest. But I think protest. I think protest is what is is a is a broader heading. But in fact that. You know, if it if it were merely protesting, it wouldn't be, you know, the the historic moment that I think it's been taken to be. No, that's right. Because it's seen like there's there's been there have been urban rebellions in the United States. Like yeah. but I don't know if they're still ongoing. I mean, like the fact that a police station was burnt, you know, this kind of I mean that's that's
1: that's not protest. I mean, it is. In, in, well, it
0: is. No, no. Of course, protest is a fair, is a fair umbrella description. But it also <laughs> describes, you know, things that, you know, when, when people march with placards, which is also going on in the United States. But I think that, you know, people marching with placards against police killings is, you know, a commonplace occurrence, just as police killings in the United States were common, or anywhere. Indeed. I guess,
1: I, guess I mean more, more, I mean, it's not, it's not protest that's familiar to the kind of liberal democratic Uh, person so that which is not to say that it isn't protest but it's more that they see the minute one isn't holding placards and doing something more then they see this as some kind of overextension or some kind of going too far
0: well i think that's right although i mean actually this this moment has seen i think some kind of fracturing of that so it's it's definitely the case that you can you can find like kind of um small L liberal capital D Democrats in the United States who precisely have said, ah, oh, you know, this is excessive. It's gone too far with the, with the protests that have turned violent. But I think there's also a, a reaction on the liberal left in America that has been broadly supportive, even yeah. of I think that's the, right. the violence. And I think that's, that's in itself something kind of new. I mean, I take it that the reflex there is really that the, you know, there, there's an unwillingness now. I mean, if I put it this way, the, the liberal left in the United States now are woke enough that they will not or, or realise that they shouldn't criticise black people's responses to police violence yeah. as being too violent because that, that, that in itself would be racist and therefore they've checked themselves and, and are kind of supportive. Yeah. Um, but, but that, I, think- I mean, that sorry
1: no I was gonna say that there's there's a kind of um impasse there too because i think you're right in the sense that you know so the, the the liberal the kind of liberal white american has gone that far to acknowledge acknowledge this um and to acknowledge the kind of i guess the historical moment as you might call it but uh they also have to fall you, you see again and again they fall back on these kind of platitudes which you know the solution is kind of you know uh somehow you know uh Reforming the police, or or, or something like this, these kind of these kinds of fairly liberal, um, fairly toothless um, solutions. I mean, clearly, because if you recognise the problem here is that if you recognise the actual uh, qualms that you know the black community are having here, then you know fixing the police isn't going to this isn't solve the problem. I mean, it may solve a dimension of it, but it, this isn't the solution. So there's a kind of impasse there, I think, in liberal liberal sort of left wing politics in
0: America. Yeah, I mean, I tend to, look, I, you know, sarcastically, uh, but I tend to think the problem with the Liberal position is is their representationalism. That is, they think everything's about representation. And I, I have said, I'm not sure if in print, but I have said that, you know, I, that Liberals would be happy as long as the police were killing an equal proportion of black and white people. But <laughs> this police killing is not the issue. It's the, the implicit racism or discrimination in police killing. Right. And that that's i mean that's the impasse they want to get over. like they don't they don't want to change the basic mechanisms of the system they want to I, change they don't want to get rid of the, the proportionality that's right yeah i think that's right i think that's exactly right i mean what's
1: what's what's your take on the i mean i guess we can call them protest uh what's your take on them more broadly i mean you've said that you think there is a genuine historical moment but i mean what's your take on them i know that's a huge yeah, but
0: here's but here's i mean this actually so I, I neglected to say what i wanted to say at the beginning which actually, you know, and and I've overridden it now. So it's almost like I can't say this, but I wanted to say, like, we're here as professional philosophers, basically. And I actually, you know, probably should have mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast. Like, you know, I, at least if not, I mean, we are. Like, we are, we're both, like, literally earn our living through doing philosophy. Uh, I think that's, I think you're teaching it. I, I do.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I would call myself probably semi professional, but uh, yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's, well, yeah, but that's, yes, because you're, you're, I mean, if I, without putting too fine the point that you're only semi-employed, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, 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 you know, in these days, hoops among us, but I, sure. I think, but we're gonna... also credentialed philosophers. So, you know, oh, yeah. we yeah. have the PhDs. Right. and. and the what we you, you were I was going to say, so yeah, I'm really fucking dancing around. this, aren't I not like, what I was going to say is like, it is really cringe and I'm opposed to it when philosophers try to talk yeah. philosophically in real time about current events. Yeah, So, absolutely. I mean, that actually is a caveat. And, you know, in a sense, what, what I say about this is like, we need to acknowledge what's going on in the United States. But I also kind of don't want to touch it. Because yeah. as a philosopher, like, of course, people have to talk about this. But I think, um, I mean, there's two things. One is that I think the impossibility, and this also goes for the COVID-19 pandemic, which is the other event that we still, I mean, actually coinciding with with the political events in the United States are not merely coinciding. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the pandemic led to state actions, which in themselves have um, really seriously catalyzed. this. So I find it very hard to believe that this would have broken out in the same way at the same time, if it hadn't been for the... Oh, the and yeah. in fact, the economic shock. I mean, that's probably that both, the, the lockdown seems to may, maybe, and people have been saying that the lockdowns contributed to it because there's a pen up frustration, people hadn't been able to leave the house. Uh, but I think probably more to the point, the unemployment levels, like yeah. the fact that, Communities with already high unemployment levels now have, that's not stratospheric, not high right. employment levels. Yeah, so that's, and sure, that, that's, that's gotta be, I mean, if you're having an urban rebellion in the United States, the fact that people don't have money, they don't, you know, in, in this acutely bad situation, and have, you know, of course, that's gonna catalyze losing, and of course it's gonna, um, and I think that, that it's important to insist on that economic, economic dimension is precisely because of the, the liberal reflex to, to turn everything into identity politics. Yeah. And, and um, ignore the infrastructure. But yeah, having said all that, again, I can't, I can't help myself by talking about it. And we have to talk about it, obviously. But I think so, you know, the, the intellectualization and theorization of this has the like, weight. And, and also, I think the talking is, is um, it, this, it, you know, it's, it comes from this horrible reflex. I mean, I don't want to be too critical of it. It has good intentions, but this this horrible reflex of, you know, the, the social media, everyone turned their profile pictures black yeah, on, yeah. on Tuesday. You know, my entire Instagram feed was black images, except for one guy who posted a, an image of the names of, of people murdered by the police and, and, crit- and, and criticised from the left the black images, which yep. is, is immediately something you saw people criticising this from the left. Yep. But I think... There's a reflex there you see in everyone with an Instagram account, which you also see in philosophers, which is that they believe, people seem, people want to believe that their, their, their mundane, completely ineffectual existence is able to influence political events. So people, like if, if people, what people do is take photos of their lunch and put it on Instagram, they believe that by change, swapping the picture of their lunch with, with a political picture, they're engaging in political praxis. Yeah. And the philosopher, you know, wants to say, like, oh, yeah, the thing I do is philosophy. So I'm going to do, like, you know, philosophy which will change the world. Yeah. And I just, I don't think, I think in both cases they're, they're, they're wrong. People need to acknowledge how ineffectual they are. And specifically, I mean, this gets back to what I was saying in the beginning, you know, like, here we are sitting in Australia. And the, the reflex of people in Australia, at least like the kind of woke, woke people I know, is to not let the fact that we're we're not in america in any way prevent us from believing we're conducting meaningful interventions in american society's problems uh but like yeah we aren't we are not there i mean we're not able to participate meaningfully in in what's happening there at all we're really observed like and i think that's right i think
1: i mean i mean the first thing to say from my perspective and this is kind of very much um my take on a lot of things is that, as you say, it's too early. And I just, but I think that actually has to be a really rigorous theoretical position in the sense that like, no one has any idea what's going on. And and I think, I think that just, that has to be recognized as that's not ambivalence or kind of a failure to, to, to sort of formulate a position. It's, 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 it's a kind of, it's a kind of empirical and theoretical fact. Um, And that's, that's one point. So yeah, I have no idea what to, what to make of it really none um, other than the kind of usual platitudes that you'll hear from anyone um the other thing too in regards to the australian dimension i had a text from a friend uh yesterday i think this might be the first time i've ever been asked like my opinion on <laughs> uh like a kind of theoretical qual- like sort of problem um from a friend i think and i don't know whether she asked me because i'm like in inverted commas a philosopher but uh she did ask me this and anyway her qualm was she there's a there's a big rally on saturday in melbourne I mean, sort of a, black, a, a sort of Black Lives Matter um, rally, but it's organised by um, local Indigenous people, um, and and it was you know, it was originally organised by some young um, African Australian women, right? Originally, and then uh, the local Indigenous community basically said, "You can't organise this without us." Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, her her problem, my friend's problem was she wanted to go on the one hand as a sign of solidarity, but on the other, she, she was she, her her concern was basically what you just said. There's a kind of this is a fundamentally different country and a different problem. You can, you cannot make the connection, and basically it's it, it ends up being a kind of fairly cringy uh, attempt by, generally speaking, white left liberals to kind of you know make these kind of weird signaling in regards to America while also ignoring all the sort of problems in your own backyard and also her other problem, which is to say, what about all the people being, uh, you know, this is, you know, for example, you know, the obsession with um, Trump and Biden being, being, you know, an accused rapist or or whatever it might be. Um, And as she said, obviously on the one hand, that's terrible. Well, on the other hand, who gives a shit uh, what this man has personally done if he's going to keep on bombing the Middle East? right like so it, it, the, the idea was you know i mean in in sort of overall her concern was we're concerned with some you know black bodies and not others it was kind of it was kind of her it was her claim and like i had no actual answer for her but there does seem to be an element of hypocrisy at least in australia
0: yeah it's a it's a tricky one to say the least i mean there's it's definitely the case think we can recognize analytically that, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the kind of cultural, cultural genuflection reflex in Australia towards, towards America that, I mean, there, there is an effect. So firstly, there's an attempt to have, have protests specifically about the, the killing in in America's, was it George Floyd? I want to make sure I got his name name right. Yeah, the George, the the, the first, the first reflex was to have protests. It seems to me, and I presume it's by usual suspects like white leftists, mostly white leftists. Of course, I shouldn't say that the left in Australia is exclusively white by any means, but um, you know, give, given it's a majority white country, the left is also, you know, mirrors that. But yeah, so white leftists want to have protests about the killing of George Floyd in, in America. I mean, it's like a it's like a dialectic. So the, the next move, the, ne- the next, you know, that that immediately invites the criticism that you you know, what are you doing in Australia protesting against the killing of George Floyd when the police kill Aboriginal people all the time in Australia? Correct. Correct. Where's Where's the outrage about that? And then it transforms into protests about police killings in Australia. But yeah. the only reason there are protests about police killings in Australia is because something happened that they saw on social media, etc., in America, yeah. that, that made them think, oh, maybe there's a problem here. And I mean... The,
1: no, I, I, sorry to interrupt. I just think it's, it's a kind of hollowing out of this kind of the political as a sphere, right? So there's this, all it is, is this kind of, what, and what I said to my friend was it's a kind of binary reaction to events, right? So X happens and so you reply, you reply in sort of in, in a particular way. And as you say, you know, so on the one hand it begins as a Black Lives Matter problem. Um, and then it becomes, I think rightly, a sort of a recognition of um, Aboriginal deaths in custody in Australia um, but as my friend pointed out, her, her sort of broader point was there's this only happens as a reaction to something else, right? There's no actual space in which praxis can actually occur. She didn't put it in those terms, but that's kind of what she was saying. And then, of course, there's the kind of broader Western imperialist point, which is to say, what about everyone else who's being murdered as we speak, which are just basically ignored except for kind of tokenistic acknowledgement? Yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> point... Sorry, until something happens on the internet, yeah. which requires us to do something about it.
0: No, I mean this point is very, very much my my shtick. I mean, this is you know my my pre-prepared reaction to this, which is you know what, what I said in in the biopolitical imperialism book that I, I I put out of you know whatever it was five years ago now. That um, in you know in the United States, there's very clearly a d- divide between you know the value of valuation of black and white lives, and that is absolutely you know. It, brilliantly named by the Black Lives Matter movement, the fact that black lives are considered less valuable or treated as less valuable in some, some systematic way in the United States. But for all that black lives in the United States are, are treated as less valuable than white lives, they're treated as much more valuable than the lives of people outside the United States. The right. US, the, the, you know, the American state is, you know, k- kills people with far more impunity. I mean, the, okay, so, you know, it's this, you know, the cops... Typically, kill black people in America and get away with it, but at least there's there's some possibility, as we're seeing now, of of them being held to account. Uh, rare, rare though it may be, there's there's a framework. American soldiers killing people overseas. I mean, again, there there is the barest possibility of them being held to account for it, but but by and large, yeah, um, that's that's much more literally what they're to do. And if we can criticize the U S police, as people are rightly doing for essentially being there to oppress and kill black people. I mean, that's, that's true, but it's, it's not true to the same extent American soldiers are literally employed primarily to kill people. That's their primary purpose. And there's no confusion about that at all. It's, it's absolutely literally what they're employed to do. And yeah. So yeah, that's right. There's a kind of, there's a striation and there's, there's, there's various, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a single binary division between, between um, you know, White and non-white, which actually is 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 a really popular leftist reflex to say, uh, you know, um, I mean, I saw saw you know, uh, people, kind Palestine activists, immediately drawing drawing the the connection between, and it's a real connection. It's not merely an analogy. It's a real connection between the, the U.S. state's treatment of black people and the, the Israeli state's treatment of Palestinian people. Nonetheless, I don't think you should assimilate them in the sense that the Palestinian people are, are you know. Killed by the Israeli military, yep. in a much more flagrant way. Yep. I mean, with, with far with with fewer consequences. So, the 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 situation in in you know, United States for black people bad though it is 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 not that. I struggle to think what the overall point here is. I mean, I mean, obviously it's you know this is this is not to say that we you know can't can't be you're kind of concerned about this because there's, there's a, a worse evil. I mean, that's obviously a fallacious form of reasoning, but um, it's
1: funny. You mention evil because, I mean, I don't know what, what I mean,
0: you,
1: you might be skeptical about the idea. I'm not sure. But a friend of mine said the other day that, you know, despite, despite, you know, the obvious hypocrisies at play in, 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 um, in the protesting and, and, or, and all this kind of stuff or, one of the reasons why the 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 death of George Floyd has catalyzed this this response, or at least one possible reason, is that because it was you know collectively witnessed on social media, um, there's obviously there's there's very kind of shocking footage of it. it there is a kind of uh, I I don't know if I believe this or not, but I've, there's it's it's a really kind of collective witnessing of of an evil act of of evil, and I think. I think that's one reason that catalyzes this response, and I think that's one 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 very understandable reason for for the response from from all part from all sort of walks of life. It, it, it is, and it, and you can, although the political and socio cultural um, sort of uh, elements are important and have to be acknowledged. There's also just the kind of perhaps this is a, perhaps a slightly cringy take, but you know, there, there's this kind of this witnessing of what. What human beings can do to other human beings, and that I take to be a sort of evil act, and which I think explains, at least to some extent, the response.
0: I think that's right. I think what, with the George Floyd killing, I think it, it it's unique and singular in exactly what we saw, and this this differentiates it from from police killings in general of Black people in the United States because they're not filmed in the same detail. And I mean, I take it. There's, a, there's almost a kind of banality of evil effect with the killing of George Floyd because it's, it, you know, the, 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 the cops kill him not, you know, by shooting him yeah. or by, with, but mm. simply by kneeling on him. Yeah. And, and, and looking so calm as they do it, which <laughs> is, is, is kind of uniquely horrifying, right? No, the and the it, idea.
1: It's the other cops overlooking, uh, I'm sort of over, uh, overlooking it just standing there. I think, that's, I think that plays a huge role.
0: Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's right. The the, the, the the sheer the sheer kind of palpable indifference in the yeah. killing is is horrifying in itself and uniquely like it's it's a it's a new horror like seeing seeing cops shoot shoot a fleeing black man or you know is d- doesn't have the same shock because we've seen it before and this is and yeah and I th- I think there's you know I mean in a sense like if we we're looking at it rationally that doesn't make sense because there's you know the, it doesn't have a unique unique moral character uh, at, at a kind of rational level, but at an affective level, like in terms of the spectacle, it's it's, it's, it's it's right, it's explanatory. It explains why people, you know, around the world are so horrified and outraged about it. Um, but I mean, getting back to the analogous issue with Aboriginal people in Australia, police killings of Aborigines. That is much less visible, right? So, you know, because the typical situation in Australia of killing the Aboriginal people is not being gunned down the street, but death in custody, which greatly reduces the possibility of it being filmed. Yeah, that's right, and it must, it that basically eliminates it. Yeah. So that that means that it's invisible. But it's it's not just that. I mean, it occurs to me as well that there's the, the invisibility of of Aboriginal death is. Also, for, for, for political reasons, in that, you know, in America, there is, you know, at least since the civil rights movement, a well organized, both within the black community and without, activist base who are seeking to publicize this, this stuff. And, you know, black people make up whatever it is, 15% of the population of the United States. We're talking about, you know, a a population of tens of millions of people who are, you know, culturally cohesive, have their own institutions and movements. Aboriginal people in Australia are closer to 1% of the population. We're talking about, so we're talking about 250,000 people uh, spread out across this this landmass who who don't have anywhere near the same resources. So this, the, the, the possibility of this becoming an issue in in the United States is vastly higher. And, I mean, from that point of view, I think it, it's kind of legitimate for this to be mobilised by, certainly by it's absolutely legitimate for Aboriginal people to try to, you know, use this moment to, to bring, bring, you know, public focus to the plight of Aboriginal people in Australia because, um, you know, they, they simply don't, without leveraging yep. the publicity that it gets to the US, there, there's no possibility to do it.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I, yeah, I agree completely. And I think despite the kind of qualms we might have about the ways in which uh, say, for example, white Australia engages in politics and how that enga- and how that functions with the internet, this kind of stuff, that's all legitimate too. But as you say, um, indigenous groups and leaders, they, they see value in, in, in um, connecting the current protests to their own struggles. And that's, and they they see the value in that. And it seems, I mean, it seems to be working. So you can't say any more than that. It seems to be working. And it seems that if it captures the imagination, then that's good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that seems fair. But I mean, I take it, the, you know, the, the problem with the, the process in Australia, actually, there's, there's a really clear problem. It's that they're illegal because of the, um, you know, pandemic countermeasures, right? Right. So, I mean, that's been, a, that's been an issue in the United States as well. But I mean, it, you know, looks, I mean, I feel I feel in, in the American situation. The, the urgency of the, of the situation just overrides that. And it overrides it in fact. Like, so, you know, people are going to go out the street and protest and loot. And, you know, the, the fact that, that they're doing that, like the fact that you're worried about... And people are, right, I mean, there's, you know, people are, are sounding alarm about, okay, this, this is going to be a, a major um, spreading event for COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, the, you, you kind of can't be concerned about that. But the situation in Australia, because it's, it's in Australia, right, and it's, in fact you know, an echo of the American situation. And it's much less easy to make the case that we need to have public gatherings right now and that therefore it's legitimate to do this even though it's illegal. Um, and, you know, because it's not its not a matter of spontaneous anger. I mean, yeah. one of the, you know, I've, I've seen this as a kind of right-wing criticism of protests in, in London. And I think it's not... Totally wrong that in in the sense that unlike the protests of the United States, which are which were genuinely spontaneous, that that there's and you know despite the kind of discourse that Trump himself has been has been tweeting that you know obviously you know he's not creative enough to think up himself, but this discourse that actually it's like all the George Soros plot, like that obviously that's not the case in the United States. I, I'm not saying that it's a George Soros plot anyway. But anyway, but I think in in other situations because it's gone through the vector of the organized left actually trying to put on protests i think yeah there 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 is a kind of i mean yeah ordinarily that would be much less concerned but i feel in the current situation like it's 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 also like kind of weirdly counterproductive in the current situation in the sense that you know there's there's you're much less likely i mean from a purely strategic point of view you're much less likely to get Public sympathy behind a a process that you hold right now in contravention of of you know public gathering laws against this than you would you would ordinarily
1: yeah, that seems right and 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 i mean i I also have been following the kind of right wing criticisms of this um, of this of these events, and one of them was kind of it's sort of it's an obvious point, but it is true in the sense that if you remember a few weeks ago when the uh, the protests against the lockdown were occurring in, you know, generally from the kind of libertarian, right, right. And they were kind of, they were all, I mean, I think rightly in some ways ridiculed um, for just kind of, you know, r- drastically increasing the chance of contracting COVID-19. Um, and, and just in gen- the, the whole thing was ridiculed. And then of course the right wing criticism is, you know, you don't hear a word of that in regards to, the current protests isn't right? no, if anything people, there, there's encouragement to to uh for people to get involved um i don't think they're actually i don't think they're comparable because as you say one is spontaneous the one
0: isn't really um i mean but, I, i'm not sure that's
1: really
0: yeah uh, because i think the, i think the right-wing protests are also somewhat spontaneous in the sense i mean it's 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 hard because I mean what is you know what is the kind of authentic, authentic spontaneity? yeah, what is yeah exactly. but yeah but uh, no but I think I think there's there's a, you know in a sense those those protests did occur spontaneously because geez like a lot of people like weren't happy about being locked down and yeah. if you once you ally if you put the lockdown together with you know con- conspiracy based disbelief in the virus or yeah. the efficacy of the lockdown
1: yeah
0: once you put if you, if you don't believe the virus is real then right. when people tell you you can't leave the house, yeah. like, you're going to be pretty pissed off. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel, I, mean, I feel like it's, that's kind of unfair. I mean, actually, the, the US case is a bit different because you clearly had, like, official political encouragement for protesting in the United States against the lockdown, which, um, in a sense, means they were less spontaneous because they were more orchestrated. But, I mean... Yeah.
1: I mean, it's one of those things, I mean, to go back to your original point, is that it's really cringe when philosophers... Have, you know, have a take on this and then we've, we've, we've talked about it for 25 minutes which is terrible but I'd I like to think that we've been ambivalent enough to not, not, be, not be accused of making any serious conclusions
0: that is absolutely brilliant so it's fine that we talked about this at length because we said absolutely nothing
1: correct yeah we yeah. made no conclusions of any, of any yeah. substance
0: yeah yeah as I as mean, <laughs> and at <laughs> least we're not kidding ourselves about that fact. Like, we admit it. We admit that we are, we are ineffectual and, and vacuous in our remarks. Therefore, it comes,
1: But it comes down to that, that kind of uh, that radical point that we have no idea what's going on.
0: <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, but actually, so we get, we get the real, I mean, getting really philosophical here, like, how, how different, though, is this epi- epistemologically relative to our normal situation? Like, because I mean, mean, well, okay, because I, I mean, my first reflex of what I said, and you, you, you're vociferously agreeing with me, is like philosophy, I mean, I mean, the take I have is like philosophy can't be done in real time, like this kind of urge to like, you know, this urge to like, commentate on, on current events, which I have, is, you know, really dumb, because at least to do it at a philosophical level, I mean, you can commentate on current events, but you're not being a philosopher. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be philosophical, you know, let's let's wait like a few hundred years um you you know we we need to we need to really you know get our heads around what's happening Uh, okay that that's that's fine but then how how much do we i mean really if you wait a few hundred years like how much do we really know like about any of it like how is uh, you know what i mean
1: i I think i do are you saying that you can only philosophize about things a hundred years later well
0: that's what that was my that was my initial thesis and well, you have to make I'm, the world spirit to settle. Is that
1: kind of the idea?
0: Yeah, that's not what I'm saying, or, or <laughs> wasn't what I was trying to say. The, 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 no, because it's it's, it's not that. It's, the, the idea is is that, I mean, look, I, you know, I have I have problems all online with this. I mean, actually, I mean, I've got also got problems with philosophy, as it frequently is done. I mean, you know, out loud. I mean, I, I think you know, philosophy to me, it's it's. It's, a, it's really properly a kind of written discipline. Like the, the philosophy requires like gestation commentary, like you need to have it before you and logically, you know, go through what you're talking about um, and, and assemble the, you know, if, if we're going to have some empirical aspect, we need to be careful about it. Um, but actually, I mean, <laughs> my, my real my, my thought here is, is, is going further, which is like, you know, from an epistemological perspective, like I'm not sure we should be talking about the empirical at all from a philosophical point of view, like, um, I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> I feel, I've, I've just imploded here. I'm sorry. I've like, you know, <laughs> we're recording it. And I've, because the, 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 end, the end to this, this thought process, which, which, to be honest, is where I'm at with this now, is that philosophy is bunk and is of no use to anyone in any context. So I don't know what my reticence is here, other than, <laughs> other than a purely professional way.
1: Yeah, I mean no, but I, I mean I've heard this line from you before, and I think like I, uh, I mean the, the, the first part of your talk of your of your of your I guess it was almost a rant, um, <laughs> it, it, it's close to my heart because and I, and I've been accused of this many times. Is this kind of like radical ambivalence as part of my philosophical position, right? which often is just hiding the fact that I have no idea what's going on. And I think that's true. It's a kind of coping mechanism. But I also isn't think- it,
0: Isn't it I, the opposite? Isn't it that everyone else is talking to hide the fact they have no, no idea what's going on and you, yeah, you're the one who will admit it?
1: I mean, possibly. That's possibly true. But I mean, I, I also very strongly believe that you know, having serious doubts about basically everything is the only defendable position. Like, I, I really do think that. Um, I don't go as far as you just think that philosophy is bunk. Maybe that's just, because i've been doing it for less time than you and i'm just still naive right um and i but i agree with you that philosophy is basically a or at least in my world it's basically a written and uh it's basically reading and writing for me it's like for me it's a it also like an extremely kind of private endeavor so uh which makes me sound like a weirdo which is probably accurate but I, I, I'm at my, as I'm sure is becoming clear, I'm at my weakest talking about philosophy out loud. Um, and I don't do it very often and I don't really enjoy it. I'm enjoying it now, but uh, I, but I do think, I do think there is that kind of Socratic element in me, element of, in me, which, which still wants to defend philosophy as, as capable of doing something quite vital.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now this is, this is really interesting. Really getting to the nub of it, right. Which is, which is the Platonism. I mean, this is what it always comes back to when we, when we talk, from yep. your side, is, yep. is a kind of commitment to
1: platonism. I mean, no, it's it's, but this, but this is really recent for me. Like, I, like I've only realised in the like, last two weeks that maybe I'm, a, I'm actually a platonist, like, rather than just being a joke. <laughs> this is before you read Badu. Correct, yeah, before I read Badu. But, but I mean, my, 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 my thesis is basically, was kind of insane because every, it, basically all of the thinkers I dealt, not all of them, but all of the thinkers I dealt with, or many of them, I, the ones I dealt with, were kind of anti-Platonic, right? But then my conclusion was on Plato. <laughs> um, yeah. And th- I think that conclusion kind of, was only like 4,000 words, but I think it really fucked me up. Like, because I think I, you know, because I reread The Republic and I, I had this kind of horrific, and it, it, basically and that was last year. And now it's just been in the back of my head. And then I read Badu. And then I've been, I've been reading some Hans Jonas as well, which is kind of very Aristotelian. And I'm like, no, this is, this is clearly wrong. <laughs>
0: You see, yeah, this is interesting. I mean, we need to, we need to unpack this and probably over the course of, of many, many years. But the, I mean, because as you know, like I'm, I'm on the Aristotelian tip and have been for, forever, really. Like I, I, still, I still cannot feel sympathy with Plato, but I'm, I'm willing to accept though that maybe this is where I need to go because where I've, where I've been, is you know down this road, I mean, you know, obviously with Foucault, right? Marx right. and Foucault, right? I mean, Marx, you have this, you have this, and I was thinking about it before. We're talking about you know the practical stakes of philosophy. You've got the eleventh thesis on Feuerbach, which says famously, Philosophers have only interpreted the world, the point is to change it. Right? And that's that's Marx. And what Marx does is like, okay, he's he's got a PhD in, in philosophy. And then he goes off and tries to change the world and, and you know, is, is successful, although in a slightly ambivalent way. And then you've got Foucault who says, what is philosophy today? And this is Foucault's late work. And he spends most of his life kind of despite, I mean, he has a philosophical education, but it's really just because he's French, like his PhD is in philosophy. But in you, French, you do a PhD in philosophy. But he he then goes off and does basically stuff that doesn't look that much like philosophy for, for two decades. But in the end, he kind of goes back and says, yeah, I'm a philosopher. But philosophy today can only mean the study of the relationship between politics and truth, right? The truth aspect is what makes it philosophical. But it has to be political because we're in this post, post-Marxist, post post Eleven age where you can't do a non-political form of philosophy. And this is what I've, you know, this is the song sheet I've been seeing for, for years, which is, you know, philosophy has to be politically engaged, even though I don't think it can take place in real time. Like I think, so, you know, but Foucault, as always was the template for me, because Foucault is like this guy who, you know, is trying to influence the present, but he does it by studying history. So, you know, Foucault's books basically deal with stuff that is, you know, no more recent than 100 years, which is why I'm saying that. It's not because I'm a Hegelian. It's because I'm a Foucaultian. So I'm like, well, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, look at stuff where we we know what's happening, and that is a really serious problem with trying to deal with anything. You know, that's happening now because in really important senses we don't know, in a, in, a, in a kind of trivial empirical sense. Like a lot of what's going on now, we don't we don't know what's going on. I mean, that's why you know we can have these conspiracy theories, and we're not sure if they're if they're true or false because the dust hasn't settled, and we don't really know what happened. But the thing is that you know, as you know, my. My position on a whole bunch of things has been thrown into really significant flux recently, and the, you know, I, I'm not sure what I think about this because I, I, I'm I'm tempted now to to commit to a much more radical skepticism than that, which is going to say, well, how do we know, you know, any of this stuff ever happened? I mean, how do we how do we know that our historical evidence is? I mean, and and then we don't, right? We don't. I mean, you know, as if as if I mean, it just if something's happened a hundred years ago i mean it, it allows it to appear much more clear because you, you you develop a canonical set of archival materials that define the event but that's simply i mean a lot of that is the disappearance of, of conflicting uh, evidence and so on when when things are recent you, you've got a lot of you always have a complicating narrative so i mean shouldn't so but so my thought is like which is what i was voicing before in my in, in, you characterize it as almost a rant. I and mean, i characterize it really as, a, as an intellectual implosion. And where 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 do we? I mean, may, but maybe we just go back to Plato, and precisely because Plato is not, not an empiricist. So for for Plato, like, it's it's not about it's about mathematics. It's not about you know the study of praxis. Unlike for Aristotle, who's who's very practical. But maybe you have something else. To say. Yeah, no, but,
1: I mean that's right. Like, and the the thing is, the thing that's awkward about this is that you know my instincts are on the one hand Aristotelian, right? And on the other hand, deeply Platonic. And this is something that I haven't realised I've been grappling with until recently. Um, even though, you know, I read The Republic when I was like 16. It was one of my first introductions to philosophy, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, and and because the awkward thing here is I actually don't know Plato super well. Like I've read the kind of classic text, but I'm not in any way a Plato expert. Um, but I guess... Uh, but <laughs> But the, the part of me that wants to, got, wants to kind of hold on to this idea of, you know, to use a kind of colloquial term, you know, not colloquial, but kind of a bit of a, I don't know, I believe in truth, beauty, justice. <laughs> like, I, 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 I actually do. Um, and, you know, the, the part, and, and, you know, I, I think we both watched that Badu um, doco the other day, um, the bit, and I was interested that he, he emphasised this, because I emphasised this at the end of my thesis too, and, you know, which is the, in the Allegory of the Cave, um, so you have this kind of this this incredibly famous metaphor for the um the the sudden witnessing of the good and and you know and the true right and people talk about this and but of course as bajou points out you know what what often isn't mentioned is that plato says you have to go back in the cave right like there has to be i mean and he interprets this as a, as, as 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 a kind of uh, call to Praxis, at least from from what I understand it. I mean, I'm only I'm new to Beju, right? But this is, yeah. no, go on.
0: This no, is just this is not my memory of the Republic, right? Like if I, yeah. maybe I'm, you know, it's part of this like
1: You don't remember? You don't
0: remember the the bit where he tells you to go back into the cave? But doesn't he say? But he says you can leave the cave fully. So like you can go. Like you don't have to go back. Like yeah. My, oh,
1: now I can't remember. I'll have to double check. But oh, yeah. My, my understanding of it is that to actually, to actually, sort of, to engage with the good, you've actually got to go back. That, that's actually, I mean, that, that a lot, a lot hangs on that. So I should double check that. But Bedioux says, says this. He does say this. Yeah, he says you've got to go back into the game, and he makes a big in, deal.
0: yeah,
1: in the Docker. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, more broadly, is that my? It seems to me is that, I mean. I share, because I also have a kind of streak of skepticism, which is perhaps not as extreme as yours, but you know, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly um, robust, but I also want to fall back on this idea that there are these kind of orientating concepts, but I'm I'm at the very beginning of trying to work out this tension. So I don't really know what else to say at this point, because it's still, it's still very much a puzzle in my head.
0: I think that's probably honestly a good point to stop. (laughs) All right.